Awesome. I'm just going to... Uh, this is my first time preaching. How cool is that? Um, and the advice I was given by someone was to record it so I can listen to it back and learn. Um, I'm also going to take off my shoes. It's not a holy thing. Um, I just wanted to do it before and completely forgot. So just bear with. This might be a weird thing to see someone do, but that's fine. <laughs> okay, we're back on. Um, thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about justice. Um, I'm really happy as well that we just started with uh, not leaning on your own understanding. That's one of my favorite passages, because um, I really shouldn't. Um, often I just struggle, because I'm like, what, what is being a Christian? What are, there's so many massive topics, and God is just so endless. And I read that, and I go, oh my word, thank you, Lord. I don't actually have to get anything. Um, how good is that? Okay, let's start this, shall we? Nice. So, my name's Harry. Um, I, just, I wanted to start by just saying, though I'm talking on justice, it doesn't actually mean that I'm an expert on justice. And I really want you to know that. Um, and in the same way that, you know, we sing, and it's this relationship with God is our own with God, I'm going to be saying things, and a lot of the things that I'm going to be saying are things that really impacted me. And I really pray that, that some of it will impact you guys, but I'm also going to say, don't just take what I say. Um, if something resonates with you, brilliant. Uh, go to Scripture, test it, um, talk to people about it. Um, but I really pray that people don't just take what I say without thinking about it, without it sort of resonating. Um, also because some of the things I'm going to be talking about today are quite tough to hear. Um, so yeah, great fun, hey? Uh, I'm going, to be to I'm going to be telling a story to start off with, and then I'm going to be talking about justice. What is justice from the point of view of International Justice Mission, which is uh, IJM, the organization I, I went with. And actually, I think we were going to, hey, hey, there's me. Uh, it says your first picture in Chennai, because that was um, Sharon, who was one of the team out there. She put that, I'd never seen that picture before, and she gave it to me just before I left. And um, there I am, nice and happy not having a clue what I was getting myself into. Um, but I just remembered, are we, are we starting with the video? Can we put that video on? This is an introduction to IJM. It, this video blows me away every time. Um, but yeah, just, just have a look, then I'll continue talking. We may need a little sound. We saw about 1,200 little kids and found out that they were in fact trafficked and they were in fact slaves. These little kids are on this boat. They are not fed. They are abused beyond imagination. Girl, 
we have operations all over the world rescuing people from slavery because today there are criminals who abuse children sell girls how old is she 12 and force families into slavery criminals prey on the easiest target the world's poor because they expect no one to defend them pareho po tayong mga tao hindi po tayo ibagay or hayo na pwedeng gamitin lang sa pansarili but today there are thousands of people gathering to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. And together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. We will not go away. We stay with the survivors until they are healed. Until they are free. Natulungan po ako ng IJM sa pamamagitan po na sa case ko sa pagtulong po nila na ma-overcome ko po yung yung fear each year, we rescue thousands of slaves and protect millions around the world. We are transforming how justice systems protect their citizens. To those who are still enslaved, we promise to find you. We will get you home to your families so you can have the freedom you deserve. Sorry, that it ended with a picture of me. Um, amazing. Oh, that is, that's a really helpful video as well because it means that I don't have to go into uh, too much detail about them. But yeah, that's, so that's who I was uh, out in India with. Um, justice, like I said before, is a really tricky topic. Um, I, st I still really struggle to get my head around what it truly means. But I, I wanted to start by just reading through something. Um, it's something I, I wrote to um, help me understand more about slavery, but also I sent it out in my emails. Uh, that I, I, I wanted to do one every other week. Uh, I ended up doing four in ten and a half months, so uh, it wasn't the best record. But um, what this is, is it's an example of how someone gets into slavery, uh, in particular forced labor, um, bonded labor as we called it in India. Um, so I want to do it because justice is one thing, but injustice, we really need to understand just what that is. Um, so if you want to close your eyes, it's, it's going to take a few minutes. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to get comfortable, but I encourage you to put yourself in the position of the person I'm going to read about. Um, 
this isn't a true story, I've made it up, but all the points that are in it have happened to people and happen to people every day. So, um, yeah, I'd encourage you to close your eyes, but don't feel like you have to. So pretend that you're a manual worker from Odisha, an eastern Indian state renowned for its poverty. You're poor and have to work long hours in the burning sun to feed your family. Currently, you're getting by okay, no one's starving, and you've been able to provide a humble one-room home for your family to live in, including your parents and a few uncles and aunts. Everything is stable for the moment, but at the back of your mind, you're unable to escape the daunting fear that something may happen that you're unable to fund. A wedding, a funeral, damages to the house. You're already doing more hours than your body can take at the brick kiln you work at just to get you and your family by. So what can you do? Fortunately, a man comes by your village one day and claims to work for a wealthy individual from a state down south. With a broad smile across his face, he gleefully informs you that his boss is looking for hard workers to come and work in his rice mill. He knows Odishan workers are the very best and is willing to pay for their travel down south. To prove his honesty, the man presents you with 5,000 rupees, that's about 60 pounds, as an advance. You leave this money with your poor family and excitedly accept the offer, the dream of an easier life seemingly materializing in front of your very eyes. You arrive at the rice mill. For the first week, you work hard, wanting to please your new boss. It's tough, and you're surprised at the amount of hours you're being made to work each day. You're not worried, though, as the more hours you work, the more you get paid, and so the more you'll be able to send back home. The day finally comes when you're to, you're to receive your first lot of pay. You've worked harder than you knew was possible, but all that would be worth it when you received your pay. To your surprise, however, the amount you're given is less than a tenth of what you got back in your previous job, despite working harder and for longer hours. You're shocked, but think there must be some sort of mistake. When confronted, the owner informs you that he hasn't made a mistake. Rather, you're paying back the 5,000 rupee debt you owe him. And what's worse is that as you're not allowed to walk out of the rice mill, the little bit of money you earned has to be paid straight back to the owner as food money. Work gets harder, and as time goes by, you slowly come to terms with the gruesome reality you now find yourself in. Around you, women are being raped for not working hard enough, men are being beaten for, for knocking over sacks of rice, and children are growing up witnessing these brutalities and without the opportunity of education. The other day, a friend of yours had tried to escape, but was unsuccessful. In order to deter the rest of you from attempting the same, the owner gathers everyone outside and, with several other men, begin to beat your friend with metal rods. They're merciless, and soon your friend is unrecognizable as a result of his wounds and bruises. There's no doctor in the site, apart from a man who hands out painkillers, and no one is able to leave to see the doctor. Your friend dies from internal injuries, yet the owner doesn't seem to notice or even care. As if the laborers are viewed as animals to the owner, no one will try to escape after seeing this. A year goes by, and you have no, fam no idea how your family are doing. How long did they wait in hopeful expectation of money? When did they first realize that something was wrong? Do they believe you've been killed? Life within the facility is as bad as ever, but the one hope is that you've paid off your debt. 
you nervously approach the owner and ask him as politely as you can whether there's any chance your debt is close to being paid off. Without looking up, he lets you know that rather than your debt decreasing, it's actually increased to 10,000 rupees. The reason he gives is that you haven't been working hard enough and so haven't been earning enough money to pay him back. Over time, the debt has increased as a result of interest. Your only hope has escaped. It's been taken away from you. And now, with no hope in sight, you return to work. Now that might have been hard to listen to or just a little bit shocking sort of saying, you might be thinking, Harry, why have you come to just make me feel so sad? I was so happy. I was having a great weekend, and now I come and you've just reminded me of how sad the world is. Um, and, and partly, I think, as Christians, but as people, it's really important for us to understand what's going on in the world, to understand the reality, and, and however hard it is to hear, it's so much more difficult to actually live through. Um, the good thing, though, is that there is hope. Uh, and I got to see a bit, about, uh, a bit of this with IJM. So I wanted to show you guys a little bit more about what IGM do. Um, IGM overview. So let's, let's go through it. This will just be quick. Um, there's 18 field offices around the world. So it's South America, Africa, uh, India where I was, and then South Asia. There it is. Uh, the red countries are where there's like, aware, you know, the um, awareness, uh, I guess. It's, it's not field work as much as it's raising awareness and fundraising and things like that. Um, Next slide, please. International Justice Mission is a global organization that protects the poor from violence throughout the developing world. There's a few different ways that they do this. So when we talk about justice, again, like I said, it's so big. But IGM, they sort of see it in two ways. I call it, well, we call it four, the four R's. Here, it's not so straightforward as that, but I'm going to still give you four R's. The first one is they rescue. So... IGM, they go into uh, brick kilns, which is where this, what the story was, where that was based, um, brothels, um, different places where injustice happens, and they rescue people out of that. So that's the first stage. The second stage is those who are rescued are then restored. They're, they're, there's um, uh, rehabilitation for those who've lived lives in brick kilns, who've gone through devastation, who've been ripped from their families, and IGM partner with them and work with them for two years. Uh, doing this graduation course, and then um, they often have social workers who then work with them, uh, and um, it's amazing. Some some of the best stories are when you see people who are like in the worst place, and then now they like work for IGM. That we, there's a guy in the office that I was at who used to be in bonded labour, and now he's a lawyer for our office, and it's just amazing. Um, the next one is then the other side of it, which is bringing criminals to justice. I call this restraint, so that's another R. So those who did, uh, were holding the bonded laborers there, we then try and prosecute them, and that's a massive part of the work. And all this comes together too, it doesn't say that with the R, but I call it rebuilding or reforming the justice system, strengthening justice systems. So that's sort of the idea of IJM. And, I mean, I can't really go into it now because of time, but if you want to talk to me about it afterwards or talk to James at the back, um, we, we'd love you to because we are very passionate about it. So that's some idea of what justice is. But why justice? I'm going to say why justice, and then I'm going to end with how we might be able to uh, do justice ourselves. As a Christian, 
why justice? Uh, because God is injustice. God is, you hear preachers say this, in the business of, he's in the business of justice. Um, and one place we see that is Exodus 3. I'll just read it for you. It's Exodus 3, 7 to 10. So you might be familiar with this. At this time, Moses has come uh, out of, uh, out from under, he was the brother of, have you seen Prince of Egypt? That's basically it. Okay, we're at the burning bush. We happy? Okay, fantastic. God, I love that film. If you haven't seen Prince of Egypt, um, basically, it's, it's on Netflix. Uh, couldn't recommend it enough, really. Absolutely great songs, but I'm, I'm digressing. Um, maybe next week we can watch Prince of Egypt. What? Whatever. So, I'll read this for you. Back, back to the preach. Exodus 3, 7 to 10. So this is uh, Moses talking to God. And God, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hizzites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And the reason this is so cool and so awesome to read is we often see Moses as this incredible man of God who you know, led the Israelites out. But as many of us know, he wasn't that incredible man. He had a stutter. He wasn't confident. He had no idea really who he is, what his purpose was. He was a murderer. He'd been a shepherd for 40 years. And yet God was coming and saying, I want you to lead this incredible like, war for justice. So what that says to me is I can do stuff as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know if on that scale, and I think often I think there's no way I could do that. But the reality is we're all called to live lives of justice. Um, Isaiah 1, by the way as well, I'm going to do a thing that a lot of people, if you went to preacher school or anything or like teaching, they'd say don't do this. Um, I'm going to be like hopping around the Bible uh, because there's just there's so much about justice in the Bible that it's so difficult to stay in one place. Um, James, in fact, told me that there's over 3,000 references about justice and poverty. And if you took all of them out of the Bible, the Bible would literally fall apart because there's so, many, so much stuff out of it. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? So, Micah, uh, Isaiah 1.17, in that it says that, uh, boom, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the faith of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. And another bit is Micah 6 verse 8. And we've got that coming up. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's an invitation uh, to us and I think often before I was a Christian I never saw it as an invitation I saw it as um, a God a dictator God who had just sort of mucked up a little bit and then was just like oh I need you guys to worship me because I mean my creation is sort of mucked up a little bit and I need something to like 
make me feel good, so now you need to worship me. That's generally the view I had, and I saw Jesus as this nice guy in a robe and sandals with socks on and a beard, and I had no idea really what it was all about. The reality is that God is, God is in the justice. He's, he's in the injustice. He's in the middle of it. And Jesus came and he got in the middle of it. He humbled himself. And from that position, he calls to us and says, come in, not go and do that. He's like, I am in here and I need you with me. And there's a good quote from Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, um, who says, without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. Without God, we cannot. With us, he will not. And that's a good way of just understanding or getting your head around that, that he wants to do this with us. Sometimes I'm like, God, why don't you just do it? And he's like, no, no, no. I want you to come and I want you to do it with me. Um, our response. This is a, this is a good bit. This is a, I think it's good. Um, I think there's two ways, mainly, that we can respond. There's the way of our mind and there's the way of our heart. Firstly, the mind, quickly, it's simply just awareness. So before I went to IGM, really, I didn't have a clue about a lot of this stuff, about human trafficking. The reality of it is I thought that there was maybe a bit of slavery going on. Like I, wasn't, I wasn't fully clued on. Um, the reality is that there's, there's more slaves today than there were in 400 years of the slave trade. That, that's absurd. There's, uh, there was a recent uh, global slavery index that said that there's 45.8 million slaves in the world today. And I think that's moderate. I think, I think from, from seeing and talking to the people out in India, I think that that's quite a conservative estimation. Another thing is that um, the annual profit, this blew my mind, the annual profit from human trafficking was more than the net income of Apple, Gazprom, it's an American company, I think, Samsung and Microsoft combined. $150 billion a year. Um, and the last, the last one here that I just I can't get my head around is between 2011 and 2014 in India, a child went missing every six minutes. Um, and I read those and I, and I just... It's difficult not to despair a little bit, isn't it? It's, it's difficult to not read that and just go, like, woe is me. What, like, what can I do? Like, I'm, I'm one person. What can I do? And I think that's a fair response. It is a little bit overwhelming. But I think what we, sh what we can't do, what I've really seen, is that how, however hard it is, we can't just bury our heads in the ground. And even in India, I did that all the time. I was just like, this is just too much. I, I can't. Um, and there was one time when I had a chat with a guy called Abraham George. Uh, he is the, the leader. So the, the HQ of IJM is in Washington, D.C. Um, and the guy who heads up the church mobilization side of IJM uh, came to Chennai in India, the city where I was. Um, and I said to him one time, I said, uh, Abby, there's so much homelessness here. In India, if you go there, you'll, you'll walk across the roads and you'll see that there's just people lying on the roads, often with hardly any clothes, uh, ragged and destitute, malnourished. And I said, like, I want to do something, but what can I do? Because I can't speak their language. I, uh, there's times when you want to give you know, kids who are coming up and asking for money, you want to give them food, and they say, I don't want food, I want money. 
and then you can't give them money because often that'll go straight to a trafficking ring or, you know, there's, uh, there's um, just terrible things. And so I don't want to give them money to fuel anything. So what can I do? I feel like there's any move that I make, it's like checkmate. That's, that's the bad thing to do. And he responded and he said, the one thing we can do is to have compassion and think, how is my heart responding in this moment? And I think the one thing that we can't allow ourselves to do is just feel nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling nothing, but I think when we re- recognize that there's a disconnect with the cries of God's people, then we've got to wake up and go, right, what am I going to do about that? Um, and then this is uh, my response to that. The heart. So I talked about the mind. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm sort of going a bit fast or something, but often when I get passionate about something, I speak faster, and I speak fast normally. So... Um, uh, I, hope, I hope this is making sense. So the thing that we can all do, uh, and this is going to sound so funny, because it's like, oh, great, uh, is connecting our heart with God in a way that we understand his love for this world. Um, how do we do that? Great question. The way I'd say is, the thing that I learned, all this that I'm saying to you is really just what I've learned this year. Like I say, uh, if you disagree, if you agree, please tell me afterwards and I'd love to talk about it. But um, the thing that I realize is there's a bit in 1 John 4 that says that God is love. And it's true. And if we want more of love, then we want more of God. And uh, there's a bit in Matthew, again, there's a bit, there's a bit, I wish I had them on the screen, but um, you've got to look it up afterwards, you've got to trust me. In Matthew 22, when it talks about the greatest commandment, uh, it says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second commandment there is to love uh, others as yourself. And often I'd see those as, as on like a level playing field. But Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And often I'd go out and I'd say, right, I want to try and love, and I've got to do my duty as a Christian to love and it, you, know, you know, some of you know, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know that, but when you're trying to do good and you're going, oh, it's just so tough. Why is it so tough to love people? Oh, it's just so tricky. Like, I'm trying to, like, you know, go and spend time with people in need there, or I'm going to go and try and just spend time with my friend who needs my help, but oh, it's so tough. Um, it is. But the beauty of this passage in Matthew 22 is that it says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And if you're struggling to do the second Go back to the first. And, and I believe that it's an overflow. So when we spend time with God, when we understand God is love, we understand who he is, the overflow of that is to go, God, I just want to love his people. Because we see him, we go, wow, I see your heart, and I want to give that heart to other people. And I mean, for me, in my time in India, often I'd go into the office and I'd just think, what am I doing? What, like, how can we keep doing this? There's millions of slaves in the world, and what are we doing? And often that was the, the thing that got me through, was to say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength or in my capacity to love, and I need yours. Um, and the other thing with that, quickly, is um, I'm sorry if anyone gets offended by this because it relates to me too, but often I can act and be good because I believe that people will see that and go, that's good, good, good guy. So I'd go and maybe, yeah, give someone money. But actually, it's because 
like, I actually just want them to know that I'm, I'm really generous. And then I hope that then they go and tell people so that people go, oh, wow, I hear Harry's really generous. And I'm like, oh, oh, come on. No, no, I'm not that generous. Check, come on. You know what I mean? I don't know, you don't have to put your hands up, but I'm admitting to that. And the reality is, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says anything we do, oh, that's up. Yes, I've got another one up. So that last verse, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's absurd. That's crazy. But it's true. If we go and if we try and we try and go and go and go and give, but we don't have that love as the center, we're going to flake out. I've done it a million times. And every time I come to the end of it and I go, Lord, why is it so hard? Oh, this is so difficult. And he's like, are you joking? You're doing it without me again. And so that's the first part, is if we want to try and do justice, and if we want to try and go live a life of justice, we really need to go in, in it with love and going, right, I want to help, not just I want to do. I want to go and love and I want to lift up, not just I want to go out and I want to try and make myself look good. Because um, I've, I've done that and, and it, it never really ends well. The second part, and um, do you know how long I've been going for? 20 minutes? A bit longer? I'm nearly at the end. I said, John said, okay, you'll have like 20 minutes, caught up now 20 minutes. And as soon as he said that, I was like, not a chance. Like, I'm never going to be able to stick to that. Um, but I think it's, it's yeah, it's gone, it's gone at a decent pace. I hope it has. I'm really sorry if it's dragging, but I'm nearly there. The second part of the heart is... Um, and this is, this is the biggest thing I learned in the whole of my time in India, so I really hope that, that you like it. Um, the importance of humility. Um, it absolutely rocked me. And why do I say that? Well, first, what is humility? A few uh, verses, Romans 12, verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but in sober judgment. In Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So I'll just, uh, yeah, there's a story um, mainly to end. When I went to India, uh, I've got to admit, I was going with a thought of, I'm going to go and I'm going to just tackle injustice and I'm just going to come. I know I'm an intern. But, and I'm there for 10 months, but I'm going to go and I'm going to work my socks off and injustice is going to flee and I'm going to come home and just be like, job done, next, you know. Um, and when I went there, and I thought, because I was so naive, I still am so naive, when I went out there, um, I thought, right, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the field. You know, people would often describe um, these field offices, the, all the different places, as the field, you know, and people are like, investigations. I'm in the field. I'm in the, on the front line. So I was like cracking. I'm in the front line. I'm going to see like injustice and I'm going to, it's going to rock me. Um, I was in the office every day uh, and I was pretty gutted about that. Um, I was just typing away. Like I was in the government relations department. So it was really interesting stuff, writing policy and stuff. And if you've been to university in England, your level of English is like above most people there. So you become like one of the main writers which is great, but I wanted to like, be like dragging slaves out of like brothels and be like, get out, and like punching a guy in the face and like arresting him and none of that. It was gutting. So needless to say, when I got there, 
my uh, perspective of what I was going to be doing completely changed, and what this, what the, uh, my idea of slavery was, was still articles. It was still pictures. Um, it wasn't what I'd hoped, which was like being right on the front line with them. Um, and I realised that I still, I was still very proud in the way that I viewed myself, viewed my culture. When you go to a different culture, you you realise that so much of what you believe is because of where you've come from, uh, and you think it's right. And I was coming with a lot of privilege. And what that meant is that I saw the people that we were going to help as, um, you know, the poor, the oppressed, you know, the slaves. They're in this category. And we're going to go and help the poor. And that's completely what I thought. And I thought that I was going out and being really good and helping um, until this one case that came up uh, where a week before the rescue, we got told that the team was going to go out and um, go into this brick kiln where there was over 550 people there, 564 to be precise. And this is the biggest rescue that IGM had ever seen. Um, you know, we see between four and 300, you know, and usually it's quite small numbers. So this amount of people in one place was incredibly exciting. Um, and it happens, and uh, there's 564 people rescued. And to give you perspective of that, um, 189, 105 families, 189 were under 17, and 78 were under five, um, all stuck in this brick kiln. They weren't allowed to leave. Uh, one woman had to give birth in there. There was no doctor. Uh, she got given paracetamol, um, or the equivalent of. And um, they said that when they rescue, we have devotion. We have a time in the beginning of the day, every day, where we come together and pray. And um, we tell stories if there's rescues. And some of the things that came out of this uh, one police officer who went into the brick kiln when they got rescued. They, they got the offender, they took him out, or, or I think they had to chase him actually, because he ran away. But one of the police officers said, who wants to go home? And um, there's like hundreds of these people there, and no hands come up. And then he says, guys, seriously, who wants to go home? All in Tamil, all in um, the local language. And then one hand goes up, and then another hand goes up, and another and another, and suddenly like, everyone's hand is up. And then they just start cheering. And one guy's overheard at the front saying, we're going home, get comfy. Um, and in, in the office, everyone was just like going mental. Um, one person was given a bottle of water and started drinking it and was just crying because they hadn't had clean water in, in a few years. Um, and it's these sort of stories that make you go, wow. But still, I couldn't connect. I just couldn't connect with, with, with what was really going on with the injustice. Um, until we were allowed to go to the train station to help these guys onto the train. Uh, 140 at a time up to Odisha, the state um, from the story is two states above the one I was in in India. And um, we went in the middle of the day one day and helped them onto the, onto the train and that just made me think, great, they're here, I can see the slaves, the people that we've rescued, but how can I relate to them? How on earth, like, are they really the same as me? Like, they're not. And I found that really tough. And then that evening, we went back to the station, and um, you already see it. Uh, I was walking along, and I was just in despair. I was like, there's all these kids here. And even at five, they've witnessed more injustice than I'll probably ever witness. They've, they've seen 
terrible things. They've seen um, injustice on a scale that we'll never see. I, I've had a lovely home. I've got a family. I've got food on the table. I went to university at a wonderful place. I've got brilliant friends. I can't relate to them. And as I'm walking along, uh, I'm, you know, the, there's a train's here, and I'm just there going, oh, like this. Oh, hey. And every time you get eye contact with a kid, they look away because they're so used to other people, strangers, being like nasties and beating them up. And so they've got used to not making eye contact. And that was just, again, that was like, oh, gosh, this is just so sad. And so one time I'm walking along and I hear like a, a raspberry, like a behind me. And I'm like, where'd that come from? I turn around and I'm like walking down and I hear another behind me. I look around and this girl is doing exactly that, looking through the bars um, and, and just starts making faces at me. And I'm like, like you're, you're a slave, though, aren't you? You're, you've just been rescued. You should be sad and, and not knowing what humor is. And, you know, in my head, it was just ridiculous. I was like, and it all came flooding through that actually, like, they're people. They're exactly the same as us. They've been dealt a different hand. And in that moment, they stopped being the poor or the oppressed or... Um, the downtrodden, but they, they were downtrodden, they were poor, they were being oppressed, but instead of putting them into this other category, the, I was there with them. And that was humbling, because it was something that I'd never had before, where I finally realized just what it means to go out and bring justice. And it means to be on the side of everyone, and to say, right, I'm not going to let that happen to anyone, even if they're a homeless person there, or they're a mate or a friend who is struggling, and just about sitting in it with them. Um, I, th I, I sort of went on one there, didn't I? Yeah, I think that's sort of the final bit. Um, just to finish, there's a verse in Isaiah 6, verse 8 where God says, I'm looking for someone, I'm looking for someone to go out on this mission, on this, 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 this life, this, um, this calling that I have, and, and who is there? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And we can't all uproot and go to India. Um, we can't all just leave our jobs and go work for IGM. Like, we can't, because if we all did that, then it's, it wouldn't make sense. Um, but we can all do something. Um, that sometimes starts with praying. Uh, and if you want to sign up at the back, there's an um, RJM uh, email that gets sent out with, with uh, prayer requests. Um, but it could mean for you either understanding more about it, um, or it could mean recognizing that there's a block in your heart where you go, I, I hear that there's 45 million slaves, but that means nothing. I know that there are people suffering, but it means nothing. And um, what I had to do, what, uh, in order to become hum more humble, I needed to be humbled, and that's not always very easy, but I, I fully, fully encourage you guys to pursue that, and, um, and like I've been saying, just to seek God in that, um, because that's the only way that we can really do it. So yeah, do go to I, the IGM bit at the back, or come talk to me afterwards. I was out there for 10 and a half months. This thing that I've done is available to anyone, um, so come talk to me if you're interested in that. Um, otherwise... Uh, yeah, it's a really weird ending. I'm just going to pray to finish because um, I don't know what else to do. 
Father, thank you so much for justice. Thank you, Father, that, um, that we've been able to talk about that a bit today. And I pray, Father, that some of my ramblings um, will, will land, Lord, that if there's just even one sentence um, that hit us, that, that stayed and that, um, that challenged us or uplifted us, Father, I pray that that will take root. Lord, I thank you that, that this is such a tough subject and that it can be so tough. It can be so uh, difficult to hear and make us just, yeah, depressed, upset. But I thank you that you came into the world to do something about it, that we have a God who saw the cries of his people and did something. We have a Savior who came and, uh, and took our sin, took our shame on that cross and said, you don't have to live in this pain, the injustice of life that we feel that yeah, that there's slavery and there's that, but there's also injustice in our lives that we feel, but that you've come, you gave your son to, to give us hope, to liberate us. And Father, I pray that in our pain and in our lack of understanding, or at times when we feel like we just understand too much and it's too difficult, that we'll lean on you, that we'll come to you for that uh, replenishment, that, that love. And Father, that um, this won't be something that we hear and, and just let fall, uh, fall down, but that we'll believe that this is something that you want us to join in, in whatever capacity, in prayer or in committing our life to justice and seeing justice happen. We pray this in your name, Father, and thank you for um, all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.